Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Y'all just make me happy, man. I'm just telling you, when y'all get to singing like that, Laura and I almost, I mean, you know, Baptists ain't supposed to dance, they say, and so, uh, I don't know, Laura and I were getting close over there. That's <laughs> Man, man, thank y'all so much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, everybody up here. That was such a good time of corporate worship. Appreciate y'all so much. Um, y'all just do, man. I'm telling you, I, that's not empty stuff. I don't get up here and say that just to try to, you know, I say it a lot, and so I don't want to say it so much. It's like, okay, there he goes. He's going to say it again. But y'all encourage me so much when you are singing to the Lord, and that's part of corporate worship. You ain't doing it for me, but I'm just telling you, when you are worshiping God, you are encouraging other people. And so our, our worship is, is a testimony. And so when I hear y'all just, I mean, just shouting, you know, hell lost another one, I am free, you know, you turn me around and I thank God and you just... I think most of you actually believe it when you're saying it, you know? I mean, it's just, it just, it's, it's just real. And so, thank y'all for that. Thank you so much for that. So, uh, so today's sermon is going to be PG-13. All right? PG-13 rated sermon. Give you a heads up on that. Uh, you might end up having some conversations with some kids in the car on the way home. So get ready for that. Um, the story, you know, we're still talking about Joseph. But what I'm going to preach is straight. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, I know you expect this, but, I'm, uh, so let me, but I'll just say it anyhow. What I will preach today is straight Bible. It is biblical truth. And uh, I won't pull any punches. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to back off of the truth of God's word. Um, I heard, you know, one of my favorite definitions of preaching is that preaching comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And so I don't, I don't apologize for preaching the truth of God's word. I don't try to be a jerk about it or anything like that, but I just I don't apologize for preaching the truth of God's word. But the story that we're going to read today straight out of the Bible, reads like a Lifetime movie or an episode of Desperate Housewives. I mean, I've never watched Desperate Housewives, but uh, I know that show is out there. And it, it, I mean, because what it is, what we're going to read here is that we're going to read the story of a wealthy politician's lustful wife who's got the hots for the hunky pool boy. I mean, really, that's, that's what you're going to see. It's just that the hunky pool boy is a guy named Joseph, and he's not a pool boy, but he's the guy that's been put in charge of the house, and he's, he's his boss's personal attendant, and he's in charge of all of his household. And when you read that, when you read this, you will see what I'm talking about. That this is exactly, it's straight out of the Bible. And so when we're talking about Joseph's, Joseph's life from the pit to the palace, uh, we're getting close to the palace now. And so, we, as, and so this is right in the middle of his life. So if we're going to preach the life of Joseph, we're not going to just say, oh, let's don't talk about that part. Let's don't, let's, don't, let's, don't, let's don't talk about what happened there. That's a bunch of junk. 
And we're going to preach it, so grab your Bibles. I hope you got your Bible. Bring, please bring your Bibles to corporate worship. Bring your Bibles. I know you can put it on your phone. If you've got it on your phone, get it on your phone. That's fine. But uh, whatever. But you need to have your Bible in front of you. You need to have a Bible in front of you. Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going to read today. 23 verses, the whole chapter again. I know, again, it's kind of long, but I want you to get the whole story of what's going on here in Genesis chapter 39. And so we got to jump into this thing and get after it. So stand up and let's read and let's go. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Remember his brothers threw him in the pit, then they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and so they took him to Egypt. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Say that. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, his boss. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Who was with him? The Lord, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, in his boss's sight, and attended him. And his boss made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house, house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So the boss left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, the boss had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. You know what that means. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you were his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. And as he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, she was relentless. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in, of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. You know what that means. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, listen, look at what she did. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, he's brought this among us, a Hebrew, to laugh at us. And he came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as, as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by, by her until, her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the, the, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. I think one version of the scripture says, to have sport with me or to make sport of me. You know what that means. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So as soon as the, the boss man heard these words, his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph, Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Say that. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Who was with him? The Lord was with him and whatever he did 
The Lord made it succeed. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. So help us now, Father, to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you do your work and you help us. You help us now, please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So, no apologies for this message, for this passage of Scripture. I'm going to preach it. going to get after it. I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to preach the truth of God's Word. And so if you end up having a conversation with a child on the way home, it's probably a conversation that needs to be had. Because I want to tell you something. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That in our highly hypersexualized society, Children are being exposed more and more and more at younger and younger ages to stuff that you and I, uh, that none of us should see or hear or be exposed to. And yet, they are. They are and they will be. Is that not the truth? It is the truth. And if you don't think it's the truth, then get your head out of the sand and look around and be aware of what's going on. Technology Social media, obviously, they lead the way in the distribution of this stuff into our kids and our grandkids' eyes, ears, and mind. And so if your kid's got a phone, they've already been exposed. They've already been exposed. If they're on TikTok, they've already been exposed. Or if they're going to have a phone, well, I hadn't let, I'm not going to let my house, but they're going to get a phone sooner or later, aren't they? Because you don't want them out of the house without a phone where you can get in touch with them, make sure that you can follow them around and, and know where they are and all that kind of stuff. They're going to have a phone, which means they will be exposed to all of the stuff that is out there and all the stuff that is growing and growing and growing in our society. I mean, we're living in a day in our nation now where parents are willingly taking their children, their four, five, six-year-old children, to drag queen shows and taking them to drag queen parades and sexual conventions and parading their kids where their kids will be desensitized to all that's going on. That's a, that's, that is a direct attack from the enemy. Uh, we, we live in a world where school systems, now I know we got Tri-County Academy, praise God for, tri, for, for a bunch of people. But I'll tell you something, Tri-County Academy ain't going to save your kids from this. Did you hear me? Tri-County Academy is not going to save your kids from getting exposed to this stuff. And so there's school systems everywhere that have books in their libraries and in their curriculum, books that are filled with homosexuality, stories of homosexuality, pornography, all types of sexual deviance in these books that are in the libraries and in the classrooms, sometimes required reading for seventh graders. Temple University. All right, so we, we started way down here, four, four, five, six years old. We got to the seventh graders. Temple University, there's a professor at Temple University. Probably none of our kids are going to go to Temple University, but this is just what's out there. So if it's a temple, it'll be at Southern, it'll be at Ole Miss, it'll be at State, it'll be at Delta State, it'll be at Jackson State, it'll be you know, all the public universities. So we, can't, we're, we don't need to be thinking that because we're in Mississippi to buckle the Bible belt, this stuff ain't coming. Vicki and I and the grand, granddaughters were in Target yesterday. I ain't going back. Target in Floatwood, Mississippi. Buckle to the Bible Belt, two miles away from Pine Lake Church, and with a whole section where you can go buy a onesie for your baby, your child, that celebrates gay pride in Floatwood, Mississippi. 
And so Temple University has got a class, a professor's teaching a class on pornography. <laughs> teaching a class on pornography. How many, <laughs> how many boys do you think are signed up for that class? Y'all can laugh if you want to. It's okay. You can snicker a little bit. It's okay. It's the, the waiting list is long for that class, for people to be in that class. And the purpose of this professor teaching this class, oh, we're not looking at pornography. We're not what we're doing is we're trying to get rid of this binary uh, thinking where we view porn as simply right or wrong, good or bad. It is wrong. It is bad. And so that's where we are. And so I've got news for that professor. I've got news for those school boards. I've got news for those parents that the Word of God is absolutely clear what God's standard is in the area of sexual purity. And His standard has not changed. No matter how far our society moves away from all that is right and good and pure, the standard has not changed. And the standard is that God teaches us through His Word, this Word that is the one true Word of God, this is it and nothing else. You don't include the Apocrypha like the Catholics do. You don't include the Book of Mormon like the Mormons do. You don't include the Quran like the, like the Muslims do. This is the Word of God. And the Word of God says in the Word of God that there are two genders, male and female Period. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word of God, that's God's standard. That ain't our standard. We ain't changing that standard. Don't care what everybody says. Don't care what everybody does. We're not changing that standard. God's word teaches that marriage is only to be between one man and one woman. That is God's standard for marriage. That's the way it is. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You can't do that with two men. You can't do that with two women. And the Word of God teaches us also that sex is a gift from God that is to be expressed only between a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. That's it. You know Exodus 20:14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Just for clarity, in case you need to know, the definition of adultery is voluntary, sec voluntary sexual intercourse between mar a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. And that is it. That is God's standard. It has not changed. And to ignore Him, to ignore His standards, and deliberately disobey His commands is to start down a road that will always, always, always lead to the destruction of your life and many others. Now, can God put it back together? Yes, He can, and some of y'all probably got a testimony of that happening in your life. I know people in my own life and my own family that can give the testimony to that. But it will always lead to destruction. 
The wages of sin is death. Now, we use that verse of Scripture when we're telling folks about Jesus and trying to help them understand their need for Christ. And I will tell you right now, hey, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the wages of sin is death. That means if you continue in your life of sin and never give your life to Jesus, that you will die and go to a very real place called hell. That's it. So you need to know that. So give your life to Jesus today if you don't know Christ. But that verse also means that when we sin, every time we sin, every time we sin, something dies. The wages of sin is death. Something dies. And it, if you're going to ignore his commands, if you're going to ignore his standards, you're going to go down a road that is going to lead you to death and destruction. It does not matter. It does not matter how you try to justify it. It does not matter how many times you parade down the street and flaunt your freedom. It does not matter how you try to, uh, try to justify it and say that, well, my spouse just didn't meet my needs. My, she just doesn't understand me. He just doesn't understand me. You cannot justify it that way. It does not matter how much porn the porn industry produces and how many lives they ruin. It doesn't matter how much you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance. God's word has not and will not change. It will not change. And this is where we must stand. This is what we must proclaim. And I will tell you something. If you're struggling in any area related to this issue, we will help you. We will not condemn you. We will not castigate you. We will pray for you. We will pray with you. We will not stand in judgment. We'll do whatever it takes to get you whatever help you need to help you if you're in the middle of any struggle related to any of this. That's what the church is supposed to be and do. We're supposed to be a hospital for sinners, right? And so that's all of us. But if you're struggling in this specific area, you come and let us help you. Let us help you. So, I want to make this point loud and clear. Here's the application for this message. It's the title of the message. There is only one way to deal with sexual temptation. Run. That's the title of the message. One word, one, one word for the title of the message. You run. Run. That's it. That's how you deal with sexual temptation. You can make that application to other forms of temptation too, but that ain't what this sermon's about today. Let's talk about this. What we're going to do today in the time that I've got left is that we're going to compare two people, two very well-known people in the Bible. We're going to compare Joseph, who we're preaching on right now, and we're going to compare his life with another guy named David, who we know well too. And I preached on him back on February the 12th. I know you remember all of my sermons. He said, oh yeah, John, I remember you preached on that on February the 12th. But I preached a sermon called Freedom from Your Past Sins. And I talked about David. Now we're going to, uh, in the eighth, uh, uh, we're not going to look at it right now. Second Samuel chapter eleven. You don't have to turn over there, but that's the story of David and Bathsheba. All right. So real quickly, let me see what I need to do. Raise your hand if you know the story of David and Bathsheba. Ra raise your hand real high. Okay, that's that's the majority of people. So let me just give you a real, 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 real quick overview of David and Bathsheba. David was king. Second Samuel chapter eleven verse one said, "In the springtime, when all the." Kings and the armies went out to do battle. David stayed back at the palace. Okay? Stayed at the palace, walked out on top of the roof one night, cool night, looked down over to the neighbor's house. The neighbor's wife was outside. She didn't have any clothes on. She was taking a bath. He looked. He saw. He lusted. He said, go get her. Bring her to me. I'm the king. You do what I say. Go get her. Bring to me. Brought her to her. He committed adultery with her. She got pregnant as a result of that. He sent her back home. Brought her, home, her husband home from the battlefield. Ended up 
uh, having him killed on the battlefield to try to cover over his sin, thought it was all cool, and then later on, you know, it wasn't cool. And the prophet Nathan said, you have messed up royally. You're in big trouble. So that's David's story. So we're going to compare and contrast these two guys because both of them faced very strong temptations in this area. Both of them found themselves in very potentially compromising situations. And both of them made life-altering decisions in the midst of those situations. It's just that the decisions they made were completely opposite. So let's talk about David. First of all, David and Joseph. First of all, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Joseph was right where God wanted him to be. David wasn't where, Joseph, where, where, where he was supposed to be. Joseph was right where God wanted him to be. So we said it over and over as we were reading there in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. But David wasn't with the Lord. But let me tell you something. It it wasn't always like that in David's life. Now the story of him and Bathsheba is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But if you backed up to 1 Samuel chapter 13, you would find the prophet Samuel, they're looking for the next king. And you will find in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 that the prophet Samuel said to King Saul, he said, I have found, here is a man... After God's own heart. And he's going to be anointed the next ruler of the people. He's talking about David there. He's saying David is a man after God's own heart. And he was anointed king over all of the people. And so that's who he was. The man after God's own heart. God chose him to be the king of all the people. And ultimately, y'all, ultimately, brought Jesus out of the line of David. But, because of his military successes, he was a military king, a great military commander, great success on the battlefield. Because of his military successes, because of his popularity with the people, the people loved him. And I will say this too, because of all of the adulation that he received from the women. You see, you guys, you guys can I, well, I don't know if you identify, but there's a place in Scripture that says that when they came home from the battlefield, all of the women were lined up down the road, and the, the army's coming in, and David's leading the way, and David, the Word of God says, David was handsome and ruddy in appearance and just this man's man. And he's leading the way. And ladies, you just get this picture in your mind. Here comes the king riding in on his horse and all of his armies behind him. And the ladies started cheering. They started saying stuff like this. Well, King Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And so, I mean, what do you think that did to David's male ego? Same thing it would do to every man's ego in this room right now. All the women hollering your name out and going, Ooh, you killed, I mean, you killed ten thousand. Saul just killed a thousand, but you killed tens of thousands. And because of that, he started letting his guard down. 
which tells us that even a man after God's own heart can drop his guard and compromise and put himself in a vulnerable position. His troops were out doing the battle. David should have been out there with him, but he was back at the palace. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Joseph, on the other hand, was right where God wanted him to be. Now, it might not look that way based on his circumstances, because if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've talked about Joseph came from an extremely dysfunctional family. His brothers hated him. They abused him. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. That's what brought him into this house right here. I mean, terrible situation. And yet, look at what we said as we read through Genesis 39. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Verse 5, because of Joseph, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Over and over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph. So here's the point that I want to make right here. Being where God wants you to be is an important weapon against sexual temptation. Do you hear me? Being where God wants you to be is an important weapon against sexual temptation. That means right now, you better be where God wants you to be in your walk with Him. So if you come to church this morning, you came to church this morning, and I give the invitation, and you know that you're not where God wants you to be. You're not spending time in His Word. You're the husband. You're the father of your family, but you're not leading your family. You're not in the Word. You're not praying. You're, the only time that you show up on this campus is right now for this one hour where you can come in and wave at God and say, Look, God, I'm in church today, and that's the extent. Then, my brother, you're not where you're supposed to be. Sister, if you're not spending time with the Lord, if you're not walking with Him, you're not where you're supposed to be. If you're not, if, if, that means that you're going to be faithful in your marriage. That you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for the church. It means that you're going to be submissive to your husband's leadership and that y'all are together going to have a marriage that makes a difference in this world and glorifies God. But if you're not faithful in your marriage, you're not where you're supposed to be. Or if you're single, if you're not faithful in your dating relationships, and you're just putting yourself in compromising situations, you're not where you're supposed to be. And when David wasn't where he was supposed to be, he wrecked his life. And you will too. But man, when Joseph was where he was supposed to be, he experienced God's favor on his life in incredible ways. Second point is this, just the story of the, what's happened. David pursued a married woman. <laughs> a married woman was pursuing Joseph. Y'all ever heard this phrase, this statement, Houston, we got a problem? The Apollo 13 moon mission that was a failed moon mission because they had an explosion inside the spacecraft on the way to the moon. And so they radioed back to Houston to command mission control and said, Houston, we have a problem. When David was out there on that roof, looking over and seeing that woman down there taking that bath, at that moment, there had to be some had to be some alarm bells going off inside of his mind and in his heart. And there had to be a voice in there going, David, we got a problem. She is not yours. 
She does not belong to you. She is a married woman. You are about to wreck your life. We got a problem. You're about to blow everything up in your life. There's about to be a huge explosion if you go through with this. We got a problem. But he didn't listen to that voice. And what he ended up doing was he ended up fulfilling the truth of this verse of Scripture, Proverbs 25, 28, that says this. You need to know this verse of Scripture. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. What happens when the walls of the city come down? The enemy comes in and destroys everything inside. And for a man or a woman to lack self-control and not listen to that voice that says, we got a problem. We got a problem. You're taking the walls down around your life and the enemy is coming in and he's going to destroy everything inside. You see, Joseph, Joseph must have heard the same. He must have heard that voice. Hey, Joseph, we got a problem. We, we've got a problem. You see what she's trying to do. Every time you walk in the door, she's after you. Now, Joseph, he could have done like a lot of people do. He could have said, you know what? I'm young. I'm good looking. The Word of God says he was handsome in appearance and form. Probably you know, built, strong, good body, handsome dude and you know I deserve this you know I don't blame her <laughs> I don't blame her for wanting me I mean I, and he might have thought you know I'm a slave and slaves can't be married so I may never get the chance to be with a woman she's the boss's wife so I need to keep her happy I, I'm the boss of the whole, he's put me in charge of the whole household, so I can, I can send everybody out of the house, and nobody will even be around, nobody will even know. He could have thought all that stuff. But he didn't. He didn't. Man, he, he, he heard the voice. Do you see how the enemy works? Do you see how he works? And he'll do that whispering in our ears. Nobody will know. They're probably never going to find out. Even if they do, you can cover your tracks. You deserve this. I mean, come on. Not going to get this chance again. But see, we have that Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in us, who goes, we got a problem. You need to stop. You need to shut this down right now. We got a problem. Don't go any further. You see, there's a verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says this. There is no temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation except what is common to man. That means everybody in here deals with this kind of temptation. You deal with lust. You deal with all this kind of stuff. We deal with it. It's for real. It's in our face all the time. And it's not just this. It's every other temptation. There is no temptation except what is common to man. We all deal with temptation. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to withstand. But in that temptation, will provide you with a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. 
You know, we hear that people say, well, God never put anything on you, put more on you than you can handle. That, that doesn't talk about anything except temptation. He will never let you be tempted. Well, I just couldn't help yourself. Yes, you could. You just didn't listen to the voice. You just didn't take the way of escape that God provided for you somewhere, somehow, in some way, God provided a way of escape. And because you were in the moment and you weren't listening to him, you ignored the way of escape and you kept going just like David did. God will provide that way of escape. Last point is this. David lingered, looked. David lingered, looked, and lusted. And in fact, somebody came out of the, uh, the add this. This is a good point. This is good. So add this to this point. Somebody gave it to me at 830. David lingered, looked, lusted, and lost. Go ahead and put that on there too. That's good. When Joseph reacted, rejected, and ran. See if I can come up with another R word to finish that one out. But I'll work on that. Here are the final outcomes. The final outcomes of these two situations. I'll wrap this thing up. David lingered, looked, lusted, and lost, and he brought irreparable harm to his family. Irreparable. In other words, it cannot be repaired. Now you say, wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. God forgave him. He did. Just like God will forgive anybody of anything, anywhere, anytime. 1 John 1, 9 is in effect right now. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will do that. And you go to Psalm 51, and you read Psalm 51, David's incredible confession of his sin and repentance. It's, it's incredible. It's beautiful. Melt your heart. But the truth of the matter is, that baby that Bathsheba had, uh, got pregnant with, that baby died. And then they had another child, and that son rebelled against him, wanted to kill him. And then that son ended up getting killed in battle. And it just it kept going on and on and on. David's, David's family was in shambles for the rest of his life. That's what happens. But you see, Joseph reacted and he rejected and he ran. He did, and that's the only thing that we can do. That's our only response, Joseph's response. When, and when he did that, he experienced, and you're going to see this if you'll stay with me as we continue through the life of Joseph. You're going to see God's incredible favor on Joseph's life for the rest of his life. So Joseph's response gives us the clear guidance on how to deal with temptation when it comes. And specifically this temptation that we're talking about today. First of all, don't flirt with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't let your thoughts linger there. Don't let your thoughts linger there. Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, he said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, you think about those things. That's where you put your mind. And everything I just said, pretty good description of Jesus. So don't linger. Don't let your thoughts stay there. Don't, don't hang around with it. Don't, don't play with it. Don't, don't think that you can kind of uh, hang around with it a little bit and it's really not going to be that bad, man. It's, you know, don't do that. And then finally, just run. Just run. Paul, in three different places in his letters in the New Testament, Paul said, he used the word flee. F-L-E-E. -E. Run! 1 Corinthians 6.18. Run from sexual immorality. 
Run! Flee! When I think of fleeing from something, that means I'm running from something that is trying to hurt me really bad or kill me. My son Reese went for a run a few months ago. He was down in, in Lawrence County. He decided one evening to go out for a run. Had no idea that when he ran around the corner, there were going to be three bad, big, bad dogs that didn't like people running by their house. And they got after him, literally. It wasn't like they just came out, ooh, 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 bark, barked. I mean, they were like, and just chased him down the road. He was kicking. I mean, they were grabbing him, kicking. Those he was fleeing. His, uh, his uh, pace increased rapidly. You runners, he really had a really good pace going there for about 30 seconds. I mean, he was, it was serious business. But that's what you do when something's trying to kill you, something's trying to hurt you. You run from it. Flee from sexual immorality. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee from idolatry. Can I tell you something? Sexual sin is idolatry. Do you hear me? And God hates idolatry. Sexual sin is idolatry because you are replacing him with something or someone in your life that you believe will give you more pleasure and fulfillment than he can. And that's idolatry. And God hates idolatry. That's why Paul said you better run from it. And then he told Timothy, and this is for you young guys in this room, listen to me. You memorize 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2.22. Flee therefore from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. Every young man in this room and every old man in this room ought to learn that verse of Scripture. Flee from youthful passions and pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. That means we need each other. In this battle, you men need some men in your life that are checking you up and asking you hard questions. You ought to have some guys in your life that you, that you give wide open permission to ask you any question about any area of your life. And women, you ought to have the same thing in your life. Women in your life that will speak into your life and will ask you about everything in your life. That's what we ought to do in the church. So let me, let me finish. You might be thinking, man, I don't struggle with that area. Okay. So what do you struggle with then? Gossip, you run your mouth. Pride, you're prideful because you don't struggle with sexual sin. You're prideful about it. Coveting, jealousy, you got that problem. You're cheating on something in business. You're doing some unethical business stuff. You're doing some stuff, shading stuff. Oh, it's not that bad, but you're shading it. You got something. We all got something. And this same, these principles apply to whatever temptation that you're facing. But for those who are in this room, and there are those in this room, that struggle with this specific temptation, let me tell you something. You might think you've gone too far. And you might think that there is no hope. But I want to tell you, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because in Christ, hope is available. It's not too late. Hope is available. It's not too late. Hope, forgiveness is available. It's not too late. Strength for the journey ahead is available. It is not too late. You come to Christ today. You be saved today, and if you already know Jesus, but you ain't walking with him, then you're not where you're supposed to be, and you're making yourself vulnerable to this sin and this temptation. 
So come to Jesus today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, will you help us this morning, Lord, to do business with you? God, I know this, this is a, a subject, an issue that is, is real and it's uncomfortable. And yet, Father, we, we see all around us, God, we see people who's, who, are, who, are just, who are just going down in flames. God, I know pastors, pastors, friends of mine that, that lost it all. Because of one moment, like David, one moment where they looked and they lingered and they lusted and then they lost it all. God, it's, it's so real and it's so dangerous. And you told us one thing to do with it and that's run from it. So help us today, Lord, to run from that. But God, when we run from that, let us run to you, Jesus. Run to you. Therefore, there is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. No condemnation, Lord. Doesn't matter how bad we've messed it up, there's no condemnation with you. So, Father, I pray that today we'll listen and respond in obedience to you as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.